welcome to Solving for the Undefined podcast. I'm your host, Johanna, founder of Miss Kuiper's Classroom, the place that equips teachers in creating a healthy math classroom where students can thrive, no matter their academic abilities. But it's not always about the numbers, and that's why I'm here, bringing you the formulas to solve your problems, math and otherwise, plus strategies on cultivating that necessary math mindset. And that's what you can count on. Hello, hello, and welcome to a brand new episode. Today, we are joined by Kelly from Mathematically Enthused, here to talk about some escape rooms and some scavenger hunts that you can use in your classroom. Hello, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Of course, I'm so excited we finally get to do this. Yes. So, will you go ahead and tell us a little about who you are? Okay, so I am Kelly Hogan, and I am in my... 14th year of teaching. I taught mostly on Long Island, which is where I'm from. I'm sure you can hear it in my accent. Um, But I did teach for two years in North Carolina. And I've taught everything from kindergarten through grade six. Um, So that's given me a lot of interesting experience. And I really love that. And I fancy myself a reformed math struggler because I was one of those kids that was in accelerated math until I got to sixth grade. And then it got to be a little too fast. And I got bumped down to the quote unquote, at the time, average math class. And um, I took it hard. I had major math anxiety about it and thought I was bad at math through to my late 20s when I had this amazing professor in college that framed math as puzzle solving. And it changed everything for me. And it became my favorite thing to teach And I never thought I'd be saying that when I first started teaching. That's so cool. I love that just like one one teacher just changes the entire trajectory of how you think about something. Absolutely. And I'll never forget his name. (laughs) That's so cool. And so with that like puzzle and puzzle solving, that kind of leads into some escape room and uh, scavenger hunt stuff. So will you tell us what an escape room is? So an escape room, if you've never actually been to an escape room place, you're bringing into your classroom, it's a series of questions and puzzles that ask you to escape from a virtual scenario. So it might be math questions, science, social studies, ELA, anything you want it to be, but it's not just asking questions in the way that a worksheet would. There's a storyline that backs it up, a beginning, middle, and end, and usually some kind of puzzle solving, whether it's riddles, number puzzles, Basically, anything that you would think of as a combination to a lock would help you to advance from one part of the escape room to the next part of the escape room. And I saw your Instagram post, was it yesterday or the other day that had like the uh, the codes on there? Yes, yes. So that I know I learned from another math teacher. It's called Pico Fermi Bagel. And apparently there's a whole system of rules to do it, but I've been giving these Um, little mini puzzles on my Instagram account that ask people to figure out a three-digit number based on a series of clues that I give. And I actually learned that two weeks ago, my clues were not great because I got multiple answers for the number, but it's a good lesson for me and for anybody else that wants to try to do some puzzle thinking in math to just start to apply it to something as simple as place value, because that's what that's based on. 
Yeah, those are so much fun. I think I took one that you made last year, mm -hmm. right as we were going into distance learning. And that was like our intro to distance learning. And my students loved it. They had so much fun trying to figure out what it was. Oh, I'm so, so glad. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So thinking about an escape room and how could we apply that to a classroom? I'm thinking maybe two different ways, like making it an actual escape room and maybe something that isn't as grand. Absolutely. So I lean heavily on digital escape rooms. I know there's a ton of teachers that get really into doing room transformations and changing everything around to make physical escape rooms. And that's actually how I got to the digital escape rooms because that can get really pricey. You're buying all the boxes and the locks and programming everything. It's extremely time consuming and it can be pricey and I'm not poo-pooing it at all. I think it's fantastic. Any teachers that want to create that experience. Um, but I knew for me that I would get more bang for my buck if I made it digital. So you can take that experience and bring it into a Google form or something that works for your learning management system, even though you might not be digital anymore and have the digital experience and I found so far that it really has the same effect on the students, whether it's digital or a very tangible experience. So I have been leaning on the digital heavily because I have more opportunity to do more of them throughout the course of the school year. That's fun. And I love that you said that it doesn't just have to be now that we're not relying as heavily on like when we're in distance learning, but we can still bring that digital aspect into the classroom. So what do you think? I know for you, thinking about math as like a puzzle and puzzle, sol oops, puzzle solving really made a difference for you. So how do you feel like doing an escape room or having escape rooms in your classroom can impact students? I see a big difference in student engagement and student buy-in when I'm doing digital escape rooms. I typically do them as reviews before a test because you can span the whole unit and hit all of your standards in this one activity with around 12 to 16 questions. And I find that compared to a typical, I guess I would say old school at this point, but compared to a typical old school style test review where you just take the review page out of your text or curriculum series and go through it, quote unquote, with your students, there's such a big difference in what they're doing. And I found too that even students with high frustrational tendencies who might be experiencing math anxiety or experiencing feelings of reluctance about doing math, having that storyline and that idea that they're trying to beat the clock and work co cooperatively with a classmate completely changes the experience. I know the first time I did a, a digital escape room, with my sixth graders at the time, at the end of class, one of them asked me, are we doing math today? And that for me is everything because it was a full 40 minutes of math, but it didn't feel laborious in the way that math can feel for some of our students. That's so cool. I love the finding different ways to engage students that really ties in what they're interested in and bringing that into the classroom. So you said that Escape rooms, they work collaboratively with a classmate. So when you do an escape room, is it an individual thing? I know I, you just said collaborative, but like with partners, a whole class, what do you typically see for an escape room? It really depends on the 
format I've been in. So in the past couple of years, we've all taught in different kinds of formats. So when I was physically in the classroom, we were doing it in small cooperative groups of two to three students so that they would have the opportunity not only to talk about the math piece of it, but talk about the puzzle piece, because some kids more naturally feel comfortable with the puzzles and some more naturally feel comfortable with the math part. So they had that opportunity in the classroom. And then when I was working um, last year, I was a math AIS teacher. So when I was working with that group and providing academic intervention to those students, the three of them would work together to try to talk through the problems, but they had the escape room opened up individually on their computer so they could kind of start to navigate through it on their own. I know that some teachers who have used escape rooms that I created during digital learning did them as whole class activities over Zoom where they were able to talk it out with each other in just like an open forum. So there's a lot of opportunity to kind of do it as you see fit for your students. It's very much not a one-size-fits-all experience. They're highly adaptable. And I think that we all know what our students are like. So you might have that accelerated class of go-getter students that all want to compete against each other. You can do it individually 100% without a problem. So I think that's the really cool thing about it is that There's so many different opportunities to kind of build in the different styles of instruction when you're using escape rooms in the classroom. So thinking about escape rooms as very differentiatable, if that's a word, (laughs) for our classrooms, if a teacher wanted to start implementing them into their classroom, what steps could they take towards that? Okay, I'm going to give you steps that people could take tomorrow if they want to. So if you're really jazzed about this idea and you want to turn back around to your classroom, I love to do, I don't want to call them filler activities, but in a way they're kind of filler activities where they're not the crux of our instruction. Puzzles with my students like Ken Ken, there's a fabulous website for Ken Ken that uses um, the four operations to kind of figure out a Sudoku, I can never say that word right, a Sudoku style puzzle So I love to teach my students to do that early in the year. Um, Regular Sudoku, because it's still that puzzle thinking. Um, Math riddles are also a fantastic way to start to break into that puzzle solving mentality and just build their comfortability with solving puzzles and thinking a little bit out of the box. Because I know our students are very technologically inclined and sometimes that doesn't demand on them as creatively as maybe we were demanded on when we were in school. So I like to do activities like that so they can get used to not only attempting these types of tasks, but maybe being incorrect the first time and persevering and moving on. So I highly recommend Ken Ken. Uh, It's a free resource. You can print them. That's really my number one go-to. You can also, and I know most math teachers do this already, but start spending time talking about mathematical discourse. I know on your podcast, you've talked about mathematical talk a bunch before. So it's really just getting your students comfortable with using that math language of, oh, I agree with you. Oh, that strategy is correct. I disagree. I think this strategy is correct. Just so that their cooperative work truly is cooperative and all of the minds are on. So those are things that if you wanted to do tomorrow, you could search up at Ken Ken, Google it, and then get going on just incorporating more math talk in your class. One of the things I actually like to do to incorporate the math talk is at the top of a lesson, when we first start learning something, I like to pair off my students and have them 
they're not a fan of this when it first starts. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and have them talk through a problem step-by-step taking turns. So if we were solving a one-step equation, one student would say, first, we need to isolate the variable. And the second student would say, then we need to identify the inverse, right? So they, they don't like that the pause feeling of it, but it gets them to start thinking a little bit more step-by-step about things and then breaking that down using that mathematical talk and that mathematical discourse. Full circle to what we want in our <laughs> classrooms. I love that. I never would have thought to incorporate like Ken... Sorry, is it Ken Ken? Ken Ken. Ken. Okay. It's and then K E N K E N. If anyone wants to look okay. it up. Okay. Ken Ken. And then Sudoku's. I never would have thought to incorporate those in my classroom. When we think about numbers, right? We know some kids are at a at a level where like even thinking numerically can be a challenge because they have this like wall up against math and such an aversion to it. So just taking those little steps first to start with puzzles starts to break down the wall because it doesn't have that idea of like, there's a grade attached to this. I'm I'm being assessed on this. It feels like play. And I think that's what we want to get to with the escape rooms is getting math to feel like play more often. And I think that just encourages kids to think about the digits a little bit more pointedly because once we're beyond early grades, kids really aren't thinking about digits specifically, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited to now incorporate those into my classroom. Great fast students- finishers. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, fast finishers. Such a, a such a thing. I know you just talked about that too, so. Yes. So now we have, in addition to last episode, some fast finisher activities. All right. So now talking about bringing more um, play into our math classrooms scavenger hunts are another way we can do that. So will you talk to us about what is a scavenger hunt? Yes. So a scavenger hunt is a self-checking digital or printable activity where the questions and answers are out of sequence. So if you answer question number one, let's say, you move on when you find the correct answer to question one, which is not going to be on a card or a slide for question two. So Basically, it's self-checking in that you have to find the answer that you got to. And if you did not find your answer, then you know you need to try again. Um, I do scavenger hunts typically on like half of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And I hang up cards all around the room. And each student or group of students will start at a different number. And they know they're not going to move around in numerical order. So it's a hunt, like it's like an egg hunt. You have a question, you find the answer that matches. And if you don't, then you have to revisit or ask for support. And with those, I love the self-checking part, like you mentioned. I think it really allows students to have an independence in their learning, which is something I'm huge on in my classroom, because I just want to be a facilitator of the knowledge. I don't want to be, I don't want them dependent on me to give them that yeah, you got it right, because that's not what I want. I want them to be an independent learner. And so similarly to scavenger hunts, sorry, similarly to escape rooms, that probably increases engagement as well, being able to physically move around the classroom or to think more creatively, again, in a sense. Um, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. I forget where I was going with that. I think it had to do with How do you feel the self-checking aspect of it impacts the students? 
Let's go with that. Okay. So what I really appreciate about the scavenger hunts and the self-checking aspect is that the students can figure out for themselves if they got something incorrect or they need to revisit something. So for example, if the answer to a question is 35 and they move around the room and can't find the 35, they go, oh, wait, I need to do that again. Although sometimes I will say at first, they'll say, hey, my answer is not there. And I'll say, is it really not there? (laughs) But it's also been, there's also been scenarios where like their answer may have been close to the answer. And they're like, oh, that's close to my answer. Let me see if I can rework it and do it again. Because it's, it's really asking them to kind of self-check in a way because it's going one problem at a time. You do a problem, you look for your answer. You do a problem, you look for your answer. Um, so it's really impactful for them because it's also kind of self-paced. So of course we want our students to hopefully and ideally complete the entire activity, but we also know that working at all different levels, we have students who may answer all of the questions in the designated amount of time. And we have students who may only answer three or four, but to them answering those three or four correctly is more impactful than feeling like they finished. And the great thing is because they all start at different points, they really can't track who did and didn't finish unless there's a conversation about it. So I like that about it too, that it's independent and it's impactful for them, but it also, if they're working independently and they can work in groups, but if they're working independently, it kind of keeps their self-checking private. So if you know you have a particular class where the students are, you know, very concerned with what other students are doing, that's probably a great opportunity to have them complete it independently. And do you have them do it in like a notebook or do you have like a paper printed out that has like answers or like, or not answer spaces or how do you facilitate that aspect of it? I provide them with a work catcher that has a space for them to write the way that they moved around the sequence. So if they went from question A to question C to question F to question I, they would write that and then show their work underneath the corresponding questions. I like to provide that to them with a clipboard. Clipboards make it a little bit more fun, but it also makes it more manageable. They're not juggling a textbook around while trying to lean on something. They're not leaning up against our walls and writing. And especially right now, where we'll st- where, while we're still kind of distancing many of us, it just gives them their own materials to work with and less touch points in the classroom. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I loved having a clipboard. I always feel more professional with one. I do too. I've always called myself a clipboard teacher because my entire (laughs) career, I've always had a clipboard. Even when I was like a new baby teacher, I always had a clipboard in my hand and I didn't feel like I could function without my clipboard. That's awesome. I love that. It's great for them. And actually, I I do want to speak to if you have a larger class and you feel like they're going to be clumping around one area, what I also like to do with scavenger hunts is print two or three copies of it that way their answer could be in numerous places around the classroom and they can move around to numerous places and just spread out a little bit more again, either because you have a large class size or because we're still kind of in this distancing function of teaching right now. That's really smart. I don't think I would ever thought of that. So thank you for sharing that nugget of wisdom with us. You're welcome. So if a teacher wanted to start implementing scavenger hunts into their classroom, what steps could they take? Scavenger hunts definitely take a little bit more classroom management planning as far as movement. So I think the first thing would be 
doing some kind of activities that ask your students to move around the classroom in a way that's organized so that your students know your expectations for movement around the classroom and that it's not just time to have a social hour. <laughs> in terms of the actual scavenger hunts themselves, I would say these are a lot easier to use on a day-to-day basis compared to the escape room because you can do this for a single lesson topic. So um, if you're teaching area of a, um, of a rectangle, you could have a scavenger hunt just on area of a rectangle, provide different rectangles, and that could be a lesson in and of itself. So if you wanted to get them into like a normal swing of scavenger hunts, you could easily do one maybe every other week and just use the questions that you would normally use in your lesson, but give them out of order and set the answers up out of order. It's kind of hard for me to explain without the visual part of it, but basically... Um, if you wanted to do something like this, you would prearrange all your questions and then your answers and then shuffle them up and just put them on a different, um, question sheet. So maybe if you come with, come up with questions one through 10, you know, that question one is going to have the answer to nine on it. So they would move from one to nine. And then when they get to nine, maybe it has the answer to number two on it. So it also requires your students to know where they're looking to read. So I usually put my answers in the top right and the question is really large and takes up the whole card. So it's kind of like visual training too, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then with that aspect of being online for some teachers, how would that translate? I've done this online using Google Forms also. I had Google as my learning management system. I still do this year. So for me, that's super comfortable. But basically, you can use the, um, it's the multiple choice function, but use pictures as your questions instead of writing the questions. So you basically build it so that you have all of the question cards in every answer choice. It does take some time. But you could have all the question cards in every answer choice. And that way, when they pick the correct answer, they still go through the same sequence. You could still provide a recording sheet. If they're home, obviously, they'd have to record somewhere else. But then at the end for accountability, you would ask them to put in the sequence of questions that they went through. So if, you know, the sequence was A, D, E, F, then at the end, they, you'd have a short response box to put that in just so that you could kind of see how they moved along because you wouldn't see the way the Google form generates the data for that. But that's a good added accountability piece at the end. You can also, this is one of my favorite features of Google forms, which I do with both the escape rooms and with something like this is that you can export it to the sheet. You know how they have in the teacher response part and you can export your responses to a sheet live while they're working and it will update every minute. So as students finish, you'll start to see them submit their final. So you can also get a sense of what their pacing is like. So what? while, yeah, it's pretty cool. I learned that this summer. So while you don't have the specific answer choice necessarily, you can kind of see how they're moving through and how much time it's taking. So if you have a student that you notice is not going anywhere, that's a good opportunity to check in with that student and just say, hey, I see um, you're still on question one. And then they get freaked out for a minute because they didn't know you could tell. But I like having that open in another window just to check in if I'm digital and I can't 
kind of circulate around and, and monitor the students myself. Whoa, I learned something <laughs> new. I will definitely be using that feature of Google Forms and exporting the data for it. Yeah, it's really cool. It'll update. I believe the default is set to every minute. You can change it if you wanted to, but it would have to be every time you open the sheet. But you can also reload too. So if you're just really like waiting for something, you can click the reload button and whatever's new will come up also. Awesome. And I like you, you said earlier, and I was going to touch on it, that if a teacher wanted to start implementing these things, a scavenger hunt might be a first choice because it's something that you can do for a single lesson and for a single topic rather than an escape room, which might cover more material and would be good for a test review. Could you also do a scavenger hunt with different topics? A hundred percent. I've also done it with as like an end of the year sixth grade review, just to break up everything that we're doing. It depends on how many questions you want to create. I find that for me, the setup and everything, I do 12 to 16 questions for a class period, but everybody has different timing. So if you wanted to do a huge review and you wanted 20 to 30 questions, I mean, we don't want them working that long if they're not on task, (laughs) but if you wanted to do something longer, you could and have any number of topics. It's actually also a really great opportunity to spiral in something. So if you started, it's the sixth grade curriculum that's always in my head. So if you start the year with ratios and proportions, and then you've moved on to integers, on your integer scavenger hunt, you can still pull in one or two spiral questions if you want to kind of go back like that too. There's really no rules for it, but it's really adaptable for a single lesson. So that's why I kind of talked about that. But it's definitely like a great way to get into planning these kind of game style or play style lessons because it just kind of flips the script a little. And the scavenger hunt definitely does not take as much time as a teacher to put into it because there's no story development. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to put some of these into action into my math classroom. So thank you so much for being willing to talk to us about these awesome opportunities. Can you share with us where people can find you on social media so they can follow you to get some of those? You you had a name for it. What is it called? Pico Fermi Bagel. Don't ask me to spell it. I know bagel <laughs> is bagel. Um, but if you actually search Pico Fermi Bagel, there's a guideline for kind of doing it backwards with your students where they would guess uh-huh. and you use those words to tell them. Uh, whether their feedback is correct or incorrect. So it's a little bit of a code word. But if you search Pico for me, bagel, bagel, excuse me, you can definitely find it. Okay, so on Instagram and TikTok, I am mathematically enthused. And um, I'm not very active on TikTok, but I'm trying to get better. So I would still love to follow any teachers that want to follow me because I've learned so much from being on Instagram and TikTok. And I actually... I'm about to launch a digital escape room creator course. It's a mini course that's going to have a series of lessons on building your own digital escape rooms in Google Forms. And it's going to have some pre-formatted storylines so that if you just wanted to quickly punch in some topics into a story because you feel like story development is not your forte, that might be something that people would be interested in. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. And to end us off, what is your favorite math-related joke or pun? There are so many good ones. My current favorite is 
Why is it sad that parallel lines have so much in common? Why? Because they will never meet. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. It it hits like the sixth graders really like that one. It really hits for them. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being here. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. To find all the links and resources to things talked about in this episode, head on over to MissKuypersClassroom.com and click on podcast.